The scripture for today is in 1 John 4, the verses 7 through 19. 1 John 4, 7 through 19. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and in his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is also, also are we in this world. Therefore, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because, because he first loved us. This is the word of our Lord. All glory be to him. All right, well, let me just say from me, welcome, and I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad also to be here, to be celebrating this Advent season with you. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're obviously in week three of our series, our Advent series, as it's third Advent, so that kind of just makes sense. And uh, we've been kind of looking at, I've kind of titled this late in the series, uh, Virtues of Advent, and we've been specifically going to be looking at hope, peace, love, and joy. So far, we've covered hope and peace. And just as a reminder, especially if you are just joining us, uh, we, when we talked about hope, we don't want to talk about just any kind of hope or some blind hope or some useless hope that doesn't have anything in it, no con like no consequence, no concrete uh, nature to it. We want something that has a firm foundation. We want to have a hope that's consistent. And so we want to have our hope in Jesus Christ, a hope that the promised Savior, right, that going all the way through the Old Testament, there was a promise a Messiah would come, right, uh, for 400 years. Actually, they, they knew he was coming, and they were waiting and waiting, and he came, and he promises to redeem his people, and he did, in fact, come, and he promises to come again. This is the real heart of Advent, that Jesus came born as a little baby and did all that he did on the earth and he's coming again, and we can trust in this. And so we have a hope that all the promises of God are true because he's shown himself to be faithful. And so we can believe what he tells us. We have a hope that Jesus will do what he promises to do. Our hope is built in the firm foundation that Jesus is faithful, and he will remain faithful. 
And then we talked last week about peace. And when we looked at peace, we saw a peace that surpasses our understanding, right? The understanding of our circumstances or our situations. The understanding of even ourselves. Just, and we looked at the example of Peter as he walks on the water. When he has his eyes fixed on Jesus, he is above the water, right? And when we have our eyes fixed on him, on Jesus Christ, we have peace. Because we trust in him, not in ourselves. We trust in him. It is he who holds us up. But that doesn't mean that the waves are necessarily going to be gone or that, the, that Jesus is going to always calm the storm in our life that we sometimes wish he would. But it means that we will have peace in the midst of the storm, a peace that surpasses understanding. It's only when we take our eyes off of Jesus and we start to look around at the situation that we're in that we begin to sink. And the peace that we have is rooted in our hope that we have in Christ, that Jesus' promises are true. And that when he says he will keep us to the end, we can believe it. And when he says that we are being made into something new by the work of the Holy Spirit, being that uh, we are new creatures in Christ, being transformed into the image of Christ himself, we can trust him. right? So we have hope and we have peace. This is given to us through our relationship with Jesus. Amen? And today we're going to talk about love. We're going to talk about love. Now, I'll be honest, love is a big topic. That is a big topic. I think in, in my notes as I was preparing for this, uh, I have like several mini-series that I think I could do out of just the, all of the things that I kind of were trying to, was trying to gather to figure out how do we put this into kind of one sermon, looking at the virtue of love. Uh, and our topic of love uh, also is something that I think we can really have a lot of misunderstandings about because our culture is oversaturated with ideas and concepts of love that are maybe less than ideal, right? I mean, we're, and this is a part of our human nature because we're born with this idea of love and this desire to be loved, right? I mean, nobody, I think, would honestly say, if, the, if they're being truly honest to, to their core, that, no, no, I don't want to be loved by anybody. I don't need it. We have this desire to be loved, and we also have a desire to have the capacity to love. I mean, just listen to a lot of music today. There are so many love songs out there talking about how all you need is love. That's the Beatles, if you didn't know. Is this love? Can you feel the love tonight? Anybody know that one? That's right, Lion King. I knew you knew. And of course, there's also the other side of the love songs. There's the songs of uh, love that it, where love has gone wrong, where people have been hurt and uh, destroyed, and those lyrics usually tend to be a little bit more aggressive. I don't want to talk about that kind of love today. I don't want to talk about all of the false understandings of love and love that can fail us and love that can let us down. I want to talk about a different kind of love, a perfect love. I want to talk about a perfect love, a love that has been shown to us, given to us, and is shown through us to others when we belong to the Lord, love that will never let us down, will never fail us talking, of course, about the love of God, God's love, God's love, his perfect love. And to kind of help me to figure out what to talk about today, I wanted to remind myself and, to, and you today as we get into this, that this series that we're looking at, throughout this series, we're taking a bit of a different approach maybe than uh, we could in a traditional sense of looking at Advent. Uh, and so the approach of this whole series is, comes a lot of out of conversations that I've had with people over the last few years, and 
I want to tr try to emphasize these virtues and show these virtues that God has given us, that he's, that, that he's put within us and also shown to us as answers or remedies to some of the afflictions, some of the difficulties that we face in our life. Because this time of year, especially around this time of year, the year is coming to an end and it's Christmas and we're in the midst of celebrating Advent. It has all of this wonder and excitement and anticipation as we prepare our hearts to remember Christ's coming. But it can also bring with it a lot of reminders of loss that maybe we've experienced over the years or sufferings that we've endured or are currently going through or stresses that we have that have maybe amplified as the year is coming to an end and we're coming to this time of uh, buying gifts and things. And we talked about how finance can be a lot of a big part of that. Uh, and, we, and also it can be a time of anxieties that can be built up and also fears that we can be wrestling with and loneliness and a lot of this stuff that maybe we've, we wrestle with normally can be amplified this time of year. And so I want us to look at these virtues that we've been looking at and remember that when we feel lost, when we feel like there's, we don't know what to cling to, we can remember the hope that we have been given in Jesus Christ. And when we feel anxious or have worry that wrestle, we, we begin to wrestle with whatever it, it might be, maybe it's with your studies or maybe it's with finances, we can remember that we've been given peace and rest and we can come to Christ. His yoke is easy. And today I want to show you that when we wrestle with fear, if you're wrestling with fear, if you're wrestling with anxiety, with, with loneliness, with any of the attributes that can afflict us this time of year, if you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you can experience, experience perfect love. You can experience perfect love. A love that casts out our fears. A love that is being perfected in us. A love that is shown to us and then expressed through us. This is all ideas from our text, if you were paying attention, that we just read. I'm talking about God's love for his people. It is a perfect love. It's a powerful love. And I want to talk about that today. And when we're talking about the love of God, again, there's just so much we can say. And I'd love to talk more about it if we, if we don't cover an aspect that maybe as you wrestle with when it comes to the love of God. I want us to stay focused in what we're looking at. The text that uh, we just went through is a great text for this topic, a great text to help us to understand the love of God and how we experience the love of God in a real way, in a tangible way, and what the love of God is and how the love of God should be seen in us. So this is what we're going to be kind of touching on uh, as deep as we can in the time we have I want to begin actually with a statement that John makes. He, he makes the statement two times, and uh, if you're paying attention, I would say this is one of the most tremendous statements made in the Bible. It's one of the most tremendous statements made in the Bible, certainly one of the deepest, and one that we're going to only really be able to scratch the surface on all that we could unpack. And uh, if for those of you who are actually paying attention during the text reading, can you maybe guess what that statement might be? Anybody? This is an interactive, where there's a church where, you know, it's all, right, it's all right to talk. Nobody? Wow. It's all right. Really paying attention to the text reading. <laughs> no. But that's a, great, that's a great passage. We will talk about that too. No, in the text that, that we've just read, he says two times, God is love. Oh, so I, just, I thought maybe you guys were just sleeping up to now. God is love. 
Have you ever thought about that? I've spent this last week thinking about it. It's a very deep statement. God is love. I encourage you, if you, if you think you've never really given that much thought, take some time this week, like, just meditate on that for like five minutes. It really, you just start to go down a rabbit hole of just how much there is to unpack in that statement that he makes two times in the text. God is love. And so when we look at that, I think we need to understand a little bit uh, of what that means. And I think this will help us to understand what we're going to really be looking at in God's love to us and how that's expressed through us. Uh, and so for, to understand it best, we need to kind of unpack a few things that it doesn't mean. That it doesn't mean. And there are two things that I just want to say at the beginning. One, number one, God is love does not mean that love is God. God is love does not mean that love is God. And this is something we really have to grasp because our culture tends to go the other way. They put love as God. And so it's like when you say, well, God is love, they, they say, well, look, if this is what love is, this is, you know, look, that's just love. Or love is love. You hear that a lot. Love is love. What's the difference? What does that even mean? I, I would ask, love is love. <laughs> what I want to say is that love is not God. God is God. And God is love. You guys are like, I have no idea what he's talking about. What I mean by this is that we cannot elevate love, the concept of love, the idea of love, especially a corrupted version or a corrupted understanding of what love is to a place of authority. As if, well, as love is really all that matters. Love is God. It's not. God is God. And God is love. Even if you have a genuine and, and a true understanding of biblical love, it's still not God himself. Which leads to number two, the second thing. God is love does not mean that God is only love. He's not only love. He has other attributes, other virtues that make him who he is, which we aren't going to unpack all of who God is today. But let's consider maybe a few attributes of God in order to kind of broaden maybe our understanding of this. And what I really want you to grasp when we're talking about this is that in order to understand a little bit broader picture of who God is and that God is love, this helps us to understand where his love comes from, right? That is love, if he was only love, then that's, that's the, the extent of his capacity. But he is mightier than that. He's big, and the definitions that define him, the attributes that define him are, are broad and big. And this is where his love comes from, out of his greatness, out of his might. So there's two other statements. We're going to look a lot at John today because John really likes to take the really lofty spiritual concepts about God and then tie them in perfectly with like, I, I would say like, like concepts that we can actually relate to. But uh, we won't unpack everything here, but there are two other statements that he makes that I would love to talk more about, but I'm just going to briefly mention them. Uh, one is that John also tells us, and this is Jesus talking himself in John 4.24. I'm not going to read the text, but the statement is, God is spirit. It comes out of the text when uh, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and he says, God is spirit, and we should worship him in spirit and truth. But what I, what I want you to grasp when we see that God is spirit that this means that he's consistent. He never changes, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's not affected by time or decay. He has no beginning. He has no end. He just is. 
He's not plagued then by worry, by fear, by grief, by regret. God is spirit. This means he always is, always will be. When we try to grasp that and then we come back to God as love, his love has more power. It's not a love that we understand in our corruptible bodies that do decay and fall apart. God is spirit. Another statement that John makes, that's another equally powerful, I'd love to do a whole series on this actually, <laughs> that's equally powerful and uh, I would say insightful is in 1 John 1, 5, also won't read the text, the statement there is God is light. God is light. So we see God is love, we see God is spirit, and God is light. And uh, the idea there is God is light and in him there is no darkness. And this is to do with his holiness, with his purity. And that's not measured by our standards of purity, our standards of right and wrong. It's his. It's measured by the law of God. He is light. In God there is no sin. There is no perversion, no corruption, no unrighteousness. And we could expand this idea just to kind of throw some things at you. That we also know that God is judge. He's a righteous judge over all of humanity. But he's also a God of purpose and promise. He's the God who calls us. He called Abraham, laying down a foundation for the people of Israel that would lead to the people of God. And in that promise he gives to Abraham, he talks about a descendants that are more than the stars. And that's us today. So he's a God of purpose and promise. So he's a God, of, he's, he's a God of, uh, who's a judge. He's a God of purpose, of promise. He's also a God who disciplines us. He disciplines those whom he loves, the Bible tells us. All of these are attributes of who God is. And I want to say this because God's love is not weak. God's love is not weak. Our love is often very weak, and even at its greatest point and in, in, in its purest form is still a weak love compared to the love of God. God's love is not weak, and it's not desperate. It's not desperate. I think when you, read, when you kind of look through the lyrics of a lot of love songs, you see a lot more desperation and obsession than love. God's love's not like that. God's love comes out of his strength, out of who he is, out of his full nature, out of the abundance of all that he is. So we can misunderstand love as weakness. So if we look at God as love and we see that as God is only love, then we, we might miss and, and see that as a, as a type of weakness, especially if we apply that understanding to God. As if God were in heaven, desperate for our love and affection. Oh, I really hope they love me back. That's not God. That's not love. See, God doesn't need anything from us. And this should encourage us. <laughs> because he has always experienced perfect love in himself. So again, we're seeing a God of, of power, a God of strength, and that's where his love comes from. That's where his love to us comes from and the love that he gives to us to give out to others. Let me read John uh, 17, 24. This is a, a prayer uh, that Jesus is giving, a powerful prayer. I encourage you to read through it sometime. And here towards the end of that prayer, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me. And here's the key. Because you loved me, because you loved me. So this is Jesus talking to the Father. Because you loved me before the foundation of the world. That's the love that is perfect in God. 
See, within the Trinity, without unpacking that whole thing, the Father, Son, and Spirit, which we confess and believe here as a church, given to us uh, in words in the, like the Apostles' Creed, we believe in the Father, Son, and Spirit. So in, within that Trinity, within the, the Godhead, God all, has always experienced perfect love. And here we see Jesus mentioning it in the love that God has for him. And he for the Father, also mentioned in other sections. So before the foundation of the earth, God was experiencing perfect love. He didn't make us thinking, oh, I'm really lonely up here. I really wish I had someone to talk to. That's a good thing. I'm glad God's not desperate for me. Makes his love more powerful. Makes his love come from strength. And here in this prayer, just as a side note, I love that Jesus is mentioning that his desire is that, that we, those who belong to him, would share in this perfect love, that we would be invited, That's, that those who belong to Jesus are invited into relationship with God to experience this perfect love, to experience that perfect love that was there before the foundation of the world. So God is love means that God is constantly giving of himself for the benefit of others when he receives no personal benefit himself. What does God gain from his relationship with us? What do we add to him? On the other hand, what do we gain from his love for us? What do we gain? Is it not everything? Is it not everything? Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we weren't, we, he wasn't like, oh, the, you know, all right, if you love me, I guess I could, you know, make a way for you to come to me. We were sinners. We were in rebellion against God. We did nothing to earn or deserve his love for us, and yet in that state, he died for us. This is what love is. This is the image of love. It's selfless giving. God's love for us is the standard of what love is and what love should look like. And it's a love that we should also aim for in our own lives when we love one another. I love you means I'm willing to put your needs above my own. And this idea is not, an abstract, is not abstract. God's love is not abstract. We're not simply talking about some lofty, distant theological concept here. It's practical. God's, God in his perfect love and out of his grace has shown us and demonstrated toward us perfect love through the greatest act of love the world will ever know. We read from our text again, John, 1 John 4, 9 through 10. And that's, let me, the, it, the verse 8 ends there with God is love. And he kind of goes on to explain what he's talking about. God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest. It was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is love. That's what love looks like. 
There's no greater expression of love. There's no greater understanding of love. There's no deeper understanding of love than this. And my hope for each of us here today is to learn to experience the love of God, not just to have it as a, as a distant concept again, but to experience the love of God. I want you to have a tangible understanding of this love in a way that casts out your fears, that removes your loneliness. How do we experience God's love? How do we experience God's love? I think it can be a bit counterintuitive. Because I do think there's a sense of, of a, you know, maybe at a, a really great worship night and, you know, you're worshiping God and, and you kind of maybe feel uh, God's presence and you really feel loved by God. And uh, we talked about the Holy Spirit uh, a while back in our, our last series and and ended with uh, this kind of um, different aspects of what that means. And I ended the, the series with talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's this really great experience where I think you do tend to kind of have this sense of experiencing God's love. And, and I think those are great moments, but it, those, are, those are a result of something. You need, if you want to begin to experience God's love, you need to go back to something else. And this is where it can be a bit counterintuitive when we talk about experience. But I would say our experience of the love of God is established this is where it begins, in the knowledge that we are loved. Because he first loved us. It's not that we loved him. We were, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is what love is. Do you know it? Do you understand it? Do you accept it? Do you believe it? This is where the experience of God's love is established. We experience the presence of God through the knowledge of God's love for us. Let me say that again. We experience... We experience the presence of God through the knowledge of God's love for us. I would argue this because you, how can you really separate the knowledge of God's love for you and any ability to experience his love? So when you have that moment at a worship night and you kind of have this sense of like God's, you know, with you and you feel his love, how can that, how has that happened without a knowledge of his love for you? You have to have that. You need to establish this in your life. We need to know. It begins with experience. Or sorry, the experience begins with knowledge. And that's how we then experience the grace, the peace, the joy, and the hope that we have. We can't separate the two. And to explain it further, what really is the knowledge of God's love for you? What is the knowledge of God's love for you? In a word, gospel. It's the gospel. Oh, the gospel. We have to hear the gospel again? Jesus, please. We hear this too much. Man, you can't hear it enough. You can't hear it enough. I grew up in church. I've been doing this for about 10 years. I have not even grown remotely tired of hearing about the gospel because it is where my hope lies. It is where the establishment of my experience of God's love begins. I have to come back to the gospel every single week and often every day. What is the good news? We read it in the call to worship. That God so loved the world. God so loved you that he sent his one and only son into this world. Born of a Virgin Mary, lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death on a cross and rose again. So that whoever believes in him. So if that's you today and you believe in him, that's you. He died for you. Whoever believes in him, which is to say what? 
that whoever has the knowledge of God's love for them and believes in him, accepting him as their savior. That's what that means, that whoever believes in him, you have to have this knowledge of God's love for you and believe in him and accept Jesus as your, as your savior. Then you will not perish, but be given eternal life. And in that eternal life comes hope because you have a hope that you know where you're going. You have peace because your eyes are fixed on Christ and you know who your Savior is. You have joy even in the midst of suffering because of what Christ has done for you and your love for him and his love for you. The Bible talks about the joy of our salvation and you have love and you have love. So if you want to experience the love of God, you need to first understand the love that God has for you, that you are loved. You need to understand the gospel and believe it. See, when we confess Jesus is Lord, our eyes are opened and we begin to see our Father. From our text, verse 15 and 16, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. We've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Verse 17 also talks about a confidence that we have. So we cannot understand or experience the love of God without knowing him as Lord, without knowing that we've been saved without understanding the gospel. In fact, it's only then that we can truly understand his love because then God abides in us and he is love and his love abides in us. And as we begin to know his love, we begin to know him. And then we have an assurance in God through the love that he has for us. We have an assurance, a confidence so many of us have times in our life where we lack this confidence because we're not going back to what we know. Verse 16 again says, so we have come to know, right? We know. That's up here. We know and we believe. This is something that it's up here and here. And to believe the love that God has for us. Do you know and do you believe the love that God has for you? We can have an absolute assurance. We can rest easy in the love that we receive from our Father. And this will produce confidence within us that is unshakable. That is unshakable. This is when you see Christians that are not moved by their circumstances because they, they know and they believe. We need to know, we need to believe. Verse 18 and 19 of our text, 1 John 4, 18 and 19, there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. That's the expression of confidence. It's what? Not having fear, not being driven by fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Always comes back to this. You need to understand that you're loved first. And this is referring specifically to the fear of judgment, right? The wrath of God for, for our rebellion against him as we are born in sin. But see, I have confidence 
And if you're in a relationship with God today, you can have confidence and an assurance through faith and the love of God. I know that I'm forgiven. I know that I'm forgiven. Do I still mess up? Yes. Do I still struggle with things? Yes. Do I still have to come to him in confession? Yes. But does it shake me? No. Because I know and I believe. I am forgiven. I am free from all condemnation in Christ. It's done. It's done. The work is done. I didn't do anything to earn it. What can I do to lose it? I am kept by him, by his love, by his grace. So my fear has been cast out. That's what you can have. That's what we have in Christ. When you have this confidence, assurance that the love of God is within you and you know that you are not condemned but redeemed, everything else that produces fear in your life just begins to pale in comparison. What really can, what really can stand against me, right, if God is for me? Whom shall I fear? I will fear the Lord and no one else and nothing else. I don't have a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. That's scripture, by the way, if you didn't catch that. All of this rests on a knowledge of God's love for you. Do you know how much you are loved? Do you know? Do you think about it? Do you ever just think about the gospel? Do you ever think about the truth of what Christ has done for you? What it means that God so loved the world, that he so loved you, that he sent his son to die for you? Do you think about that? Do you know it? Because if you do, it will be seen in your life. It will be seen in your life. It will be seen in the confidence you have in Christ. It will be seen where you focus your attention and what your eyes are fixed on in any situation. And it will be seen in what is flowing through you. Verse 7 and 8 what, Paul, uh, what, Peter, or sorry, what John is actually trying to say in this whole uh, section is, is kind of this, this result. In verse 7 and 8, uh, so 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, born of God, what does that mean? That means you have accepted Christ as your Savior. You see that he died for you. You know that you were loved by him and you believe it. So whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. I got this, this phrase here from uh, one of the commentaries I was looking at as I was preparing for this. I love this phrase. Love is a consequence of our relationship with God. Put that on a coffee cup. Love is a consequence of our relationship with God. And here's the, I would add this to that, not a preconditioned requirement. It's not a preconditioned requirement, right? We don't love him first. In fact, we don't even really understand the concept of love fully without knowing him. Love is a consequence of our relationship with God. If you know God, his love is being perfected in you. And this, of course, is also we have to maybe remember that this is a work of the Holy Spirit. And he mentions this in verse 13, 1 John 4, 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. So, they, so we're sure, we have a confidence in it, because he has given us his spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit is the one that's doing the work, right? He's the one that actually does the hard labor of producing this within us. We're just responding. It's a consequence. Love is a consequence of a relationship with him, and it is through the work of the Holy Spirit that is being perfected in us and produced within us produced within us. Love is a characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit that's being manifest within us as we continue in our journey with the Lord. As, God, as God's love is being produced in us, it is also being produced through us and, and, coming and, and being ex- distributed through us to those around us. And this, in fact, is an evidence and an assurance of our knowledge of God's love for us, right? Because I know that God loves me and I have a confidence in that. I know that the Holy Spirit is dwelling within me and I know that love is being produced in me, right? And so I should then see this evidence in my life as a consequence of my relationship with him. When we are of God, our capacity even for love is it, it grows tremendously and I would say it's greater than, than anybody who doesn't have that relationship. Right? Now, that doesn't mean that others are incapable of love because I do believe that we have the common grace of God on this earth and so there is a certain capacity and a certain understanding of love for all of humanity. But I would say for those of us who belong to him, who understand the love that we've, been, that, that's, that we've received through Christ's work on the cross, our capacity for love is much, much greater and deeper and full and complete in fact, this is what John is kind of using as an identifier, right? And he, at the, later after our text that we read towards the end of that chapter of four, uh, he would say, if, if you're capable of hating your brother or sister, right, then the, the love of God is not in you. You don't know God. So if you're capable of hating somebody, you don't understand the love of God. Because when you understand the love that God has for you, well, you can't really hate anybody. Not really not with real hatred. And our capacity to love one another should be just a consequence. It's like it can't, we can't even help it. When we are in God and he is in us and we are abiding in him and he is abiding in us and we are abiding in his love and his love is abiding in us, it will be seen. His love will flow from you as a consequence of our relationship with him. It's a result of the experience of his love made manifest through the knowledge of his love for you, right? It's a result of the experience of his love that has been made manifest through the knowledge of his love for you. And this love flows in two directions, right? And this is from Matthew 22, uh, 36 to 39. You might know this. The teachers come to Jesus. They're like, hey, what is the greatest law? What do we need to do? How do we, basically, how can we live well You might know his answer. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. It's the greatest commandment. First, greatest commandment. Second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, right? So we see that love flowing up and we see it flowing out. It flows upwards because we are responding to God's love for us. I love you, Lord, because I know what you've done for me. As the deeper my understanding of his love for me, the deeper my love for him. I love my Lord more than anything else or anyone else in my life. I can say that with confidence. I would say, can you? Can you say that? I can tell you, I, I, I mean it. I tell my wife, I love you, but I love Jesus more. He is number one, and the more I understand his love for me, 
the more that love flows back up to him. And the second is that it flows outward, right? Why? Why does it flow outward? Because God's love is big. It's too big for you. It's too big for you. You can't hold all that love. You won't be able to. And why would you try? It's too big for us. So we won't be able to help it. And the more that we deepen our knowledge of God's love for us, the more we are filled with his love and the more that his love is poured out around us. That's how it works. It goes back to that knowledge, but then that love flows back to God as we respond to his love for us and it flows out to those around us. And I would argue when we love one another, when we love God and when we love one another weakly, not out of strength, but weakly, it may be that our understanding of God's, for love, of God's love for us is weak. It may be that our understanding of God's love for us is weak. We understand his love weakly. We're not thinking about it. We're not meditating on it. We're not really pondering what it means that he loves us so much. It doesn't connect with us. You might say, okay, I know, I know. I know that God loves me. Because the Bible says so, but I don't know. I just don't, I don't really feel it. I don't really see it in my life. And we don't really connect with it. I say, well, first of all, believe it. Is it true that he loves you? That he sent his son to die for you? Because either it's true or it isn't. Either it's true and it's the greatest truth and the greatest act of love that you could ever hope to experience. Oh, I really want to have, you know, find somebody to spend my life with. I really want somebody to love and, and someone that loves me. It's like, man... Start here. You're never, and I'm telling you, I've been married for a while now, and I love my kids more than most people. I would definitely choose them. I would definitely choose them over any of you, I promise. I don't love any of them more than the other. That's for, the, for later when they watch this, when they're older. I love all of you equally. But I, 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 I have this capacity for love, but I'm telling you, I have never experienced anything like the love that Jesus has for me. Nothing compares. Nothing comes even close. So if you want love, man, start there. Don't just know it. Believe it. It's true. And either it's true or it isn't. Either you accept it as the greatest act of love ever demonstrated for you, that Christ died for you, that God sent his son to die for you because he loved you or not. His love for you has nothing to do with anything you can do. Try to say that 10 times fast. His love for you has nothing to do with anything you can do. So believe it or don't. It's not about you. His love for you started with him, not with you. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. What a powerful statement. Find your hope, find your peace, find your rest in the knowledge of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He calls you son, he calls you daughter, and he is a good father. He is a good father. In this season of Advent, I want to encourage you that no matter what you have experienced this last year, no matter if it was a really great year or one of your hardest, God's love is so great 
that he sent his son, born in humility as an infant child. And through Jesus, this love of God becomes an empathetic love. Try and grasp that. He was born. We have all of that in common. So God is light and spirit. And in this, his love is strong and mighty and eternal. And through Jesus Christ, not only do we see our salvation and and the love of God for us, we also see a God who weeps with us, who experiences loss with us, who understands temptation, who understands loss and even fear. As he sweat tears, sweat uh, drops of blood as he was facing the cross. He understands pain. He understands the things that we go through. He does not love us from afar. But through the Holy Spirit, he dwells within us and he endures all things with us so that we can always fix our eyes on Jesus in any situation because he's with us through the Holy Spirit. The love of God is made manifest through the knowledge of God's love for us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He is our Lord, he is our Savior, he is our friend. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. He says, I call you friends if you do what I command. 